Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. After the fall, God promised uh, Adam and Eve that he would raise a unique seed to crush Satan and his line on behalf of Eve's seed. Remember that? That was in Genesis what? What chapter? Exactly. I heard somebody say three. Anybody else say three? Genesis three. Exactly right. Are you going to preach back to me today? Are you going to help me? Are you going to work with me? Yes? Amen. Good. The promised plan passed down to Noah through his son Shem in Genesis 9 and was then expanded in the covenant with Abraham. God made an unconditional covenant of nine promises uh, to Abraham. And so in the sermon on the Abrahamic covenant, we expanded on two of them, and you see them highlighted there on the screen, the promise of a great nation and the promise of a unique seed, though he, uh, God talked about all of those things. When they came out of Egypt, hundreds of years later, under Moses, God brought them to Sinai where he constituted them into a nation, made a covenant with Israel there at Mount Sinai. You remember that? And in the sermon on the Mosaic Covenant, we expanded on two more promises. One was the promise of land, and one was the promise to bless the nations. And in contrast to the unconditional, unconditional means that it was going to happen and didn't depend on man at all. That was the unconditional uh, promise or the covenant of Abraham. The Mosaic Covenant, on the other hand, that, he, that constituted the nation was conditional. They wouldn't be able to remain as a nation, those significant promises. Remember those promises that we talked about that were the significant ones of the nine? One was that they would be a great what? Nation. Good. Number two, as a great nation, they would live in the land, and when they lived in the land among the nations, they would become a blessing, exactly, to the nations. And God said in the Mosaic Covenant, he said, uh, okay, you're going into the land, as you are a nation, he constituted them at Mount Sinai, you're going into the land, and there you're going to bless the nations. However, if you act like the nations and you don't obey my law, then you will not remain in the land just like they don't remain in the land. Does that make sense? So we have this little bit of a conflict going on because on one hand God says he's going to do it and he's going to do it no matter what. On the other hand, he says if you go in the land and you don't keep the law, then you're getting booted out. So there had to be a solution to this conundrum, to this puzzle. A solution was needed. And that's what we began to talk about in the sermon on the Davidic Covenant Last week, all nine promises of the Abrahamic covenant were repeated, but the prominent promise there was the promise of a... Exactly, Davidic king. Very good. Excellent. And we learned that the king was really the seed of Genesis 3.15. So exactly where we started, which is why we collapsed the two together, said nine promises actually became eight promises. You just couldn't tell at the start. Though none of Israel's kings could keep the Mosaic Covenant, which was a condition for staying in the land, none of them did. Not even David, not even Solomon. 
the greatest of the kings. God said that the divine seed king would be, uh, uh, could because he would be righteous, because he would be divine, and that he would be filled with the spirit beyond measure, without measure, according to John 3.34. Thus, the three chief promises of the covenant, the great nation, the land, and blessing to the nations would be accomplished by the seed king, the, the, the Davidic seed king. He was the one that was going to do it because none of the kings could do it. That was the promise. And do you see how the Davidic covenant now, it's just an expansion of the others, but it is solving the conundrum of it's an unconditional covenant made to Abraham, but on the other hand, if they don't keep the condition, they get kicked out. So God says, ah, solve that. He just raises up a, a Davidic king who's a seed. He's divine. And he, puts, he installs him. He can keep the covenant. Amen? Solves the problem. Do you see, do you see what's going on? Further, he would, um, so that's the first solution. And he would rule over the whole earth, delivering Israel from her enemies, crushing the world's tyrants, teaching the world uh, God's ways, reigning justly and righteously, and thereby ushering in peace forever. We talked about that. However, though the, now here's the problem. <laughs> we still have a problem. We haven't solved all the problems. We've solved one of the problems. But there was another problem that would keep them out of the land. They would have to, uh, just because the king was righteous, because God would raise up that kind of a king, um, the Davidic king, uh, divine seed king, Messiah, just because God would, he would be righteous, what was wrong? The people still weren't righteous. Is that right? And if the people weren't righteous, the problem still wasn't solved. And so God had solution number two. This wasn't, these weren't afterthoughts. This was all planned in eternity past. And he was, he was teaching us, I don't have time to ex expand on what I'd like to right there. But So the second solution would be the new covenant. That's how he's going to solve the problem of the people. He had already solved the problem of the king. Now he's going to solve the problem of the people. And so that they could remain in the land, or remain as a nation, remain in the land, and remain there forever and be a blessing to the nations, which is all future. Now, <clears throat> recall before and after the flood, God had said that the heart was only evil continually. We'll look at one of the verses. Once, once he said it in, before the flood, remember we looked at that. And at that time, I knew we were coming back to it, but God didn't solve it in Genesis. He didn't solve it at the flood. What he did was he stopped evil in its tracks or he curbed it so that it couldn't spread anymore and they started all over. But the problem was that right after the flood, and we noted it in chapter 8, it says that they were still, that the heart was still inclined to what? It's still inclined to evil. That had not been solved. And he hadn't even addressed it. 
uh, because there were so many other things he was addressing. Okay, so anyway, that's what he was going to do. So for this reason, God introduced what the prophets called the New Covenant. Now, let's talk a little bit about the New Covenant, a few things about it, and then we're going to dive into some key details that will solve the problem of the people. The New Covenant was first made with Israel, not the Gentiles. Now, I'm sorry, if you're a Gentile, that's us, all of us. The New Covenant was not made with the Gentiles. We act as though it was. But the Old Testament teaches it was made with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And it, by the way, it was made with them when they were in exile. <laughs> the northern kingdom of Israel was already gone, and the other one was partly gone already. And that's when God makes this, says, I'm going to have a new covenant. And he, and he delivers it, not through Abraham, not through David, not to the nation of Israel. He delivers it through the prophets. And Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Zechariah, they all talk about it. They all talk about the New Covenant. In fact, most of what you're reading there, that's what they're talking about. And um, anyway, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, house of Judah. And in it, he promised Ezekiel that he would bring the nation back to life. She was already in exile. God brought Ezekiel into a valley of dead bones. You remember that one? You love that one, amen? Ezekiel 37. And told him to prophesy to the bones representing Israel, which was to come back to life. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Therefore prophesy, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. They were in exile. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. That's the, that's the new covenant. And uh, I will settle you in your own land. They were out because they couldn't keep the Mosaic Covenant. This would happen in the last days for God said that at, all, at that time, in context, he says at that time, all Israel will know the Lord. This has never happened. Much of the new covenant, some of the new covenant, has, uh, the new covenant has been secured and we're going to talk about that. But much of it has not been fulfilled. It is still future. It was made with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. Jeremiah 31 says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, No, Lord, because they will all know, him, know me. We, we, we looked at that one already, that verse. But my point there is, the context of the new covenant that he's making with them is, it's going to be in the end that it's all fulfilled. It doesn't just get all fulfilled the moment Jesus dies on the cross. That secures the new covenant. It doesn't fulfill it all. Okay? Second, the new covenant is for the Gentiles too. Now, that's good news. Amen? <laughs> because I am a Gentile, and so are you. However, um, but only through Israel. Isaiah 42, 6 says, I will give you, he's talking about Messiah there, as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Goyim is the word, is the Hebrew word there. Gentiles or nations. They, they translated it in nations, but it's the Gentiles. Anybody that's a non-Jew. Number two, 
Second thing about the New Covenant, the New Covenant doesn't replace the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants. The word new in New Covenant is better translated renewed covenant or restored covenant, if you like, or something like that. Just like a new moon is really a renewed moon. It isn't a new moon. It's the same moon, amen? Huh? Well, this is the same covenant. There are new features we're going to find out about it. And so in that sense, it's new, but it is the same covenant. It's not like everything he said to Abraham and to David is now out the window. No. That, that all remains, but now we're going to learn some new features about the new covenant because he's going to solve some more aspects of the problem with people. So it was the same covenant with new features. The problem with the word new is that it implies that the new covenant replaced something old and outdated, but that's not true. And so many believers think that the law was thrown out by the new covenant. See, by the way, here, this is practical. If you think that the law is out, then maybe you're going to go with the new sexuality that's out there. It is not, the law got, was not thrown out by the new covenant. Um, the new covenant wouldn't throw out the law. <laughs> the new, l- listen to what the new covenant says about the law. It says, I will put my, uh-oh, what's the word? Yeah, say it with confidence. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. He, this is new covenant, and he does not say he's getting rid of God's standard. There was nothing wrong with the law. It was God's righteous standard, which has never changed. The problem was that the people couldn't live out the standard. That was the problem. <laughs> and, to the, and so they continued to fall under the curses of the Mosaic Covenant, because the Mosaic Covenant said, if you obey me, the law, then I will what? It starts with B, ends with S. Yes, I will bless you. If you don't, if you don't obey the law, then I will what? Curse you. Exactly right. Very good. The New Covenant itself emphasized that God found no fault with the Mosaic Covenant, only with the people of the covenant. Jeremiah 31, 32 says, It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. He's talking about Mosaic. Uh, Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. The Hebrews writer agreed, prefacing his quote from Jeremiah, right from this passage. You can go there and study it yourself. Uh, he prefaced his quote from Jeremiah this way. He says, but God found fault with the law. Is that what it says? He found fault with the people, not with the law. God's righteous standard doesn't change. That's as relevant today as it's ever been. I'm so, do you see how relevant that is to today? Uh-oh. I know what you're thinking now. 
God said that for that reason, they couldn't remain in the land. However, in the new covenant, God promised a solution so that the people, and that's how good God is, amen? He, see, he doesn't find fault with us and then be like Richard Dawkins says. He comes up with solutions to the problem because he loves human beings, amen? So he came up with a solution so the people would remain forever faithful to God and thus be able to remain in the land forever. Jeremiah 32, 40, which is part of the new covenant, says they will never turn away from me in the future because of this new covenant. That's incredible. While the new covenant was secured through the death and resurrection of Jesus, much of its fulfillment is future. So what were a couple of the new features of the new covenant that will change the people so they can be in the land forever? And together with God. Well, the first, uh, here, here's the first one. It's part B, but it's the first part of the solution. The new covenant will make the people righteous. I will forgive their wickedness, God said in the new covenant, and will remember their sins no more. Now, how will God forgive the people and make them righteous? First of all, the Davidic king, let's, let's, let's step back now and set it up. The Davidic king I remember we said he's divine, he's a seed, he's a king, he's Messiah, he's a branch, he's all those things, right? We said that? He, he's described by all those things because those are the functions he's filling in the Old Testament. So it gives him different, different names. And, but he is also a priest. David said the Davidic king is a priest in Psalm 110. And, oh my, we could go there and, and look at it. You know, my Lord, no, the Lord said to my Lord, uh, remember that? We looked at that. Well, if, you would go, if we had continued last week, which we didn't because that wasn't the purpose of it, if we continue to verse 4, verse 4 says, He, that Lord, is also a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a king and a priest of Jerusalem. Right? And he's after that order. Anyway, Zechariah puts it more succinctly. He says, here's the man whose name is the branch. Remember, remember that. He was the Davidic king from last week. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord. He will be clothed with what? Majesty. And will sit and what? Rule on the throne and he will be a priest on the throne. He's a king priest. This, this individual is a king priest. By the way, this is just a little aside. It's not in the notes. It's a little aside. You can go look it up. Isaiah 1, no, Isaiah 6, 1 to 7. Remember? In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Remember that passage? That powerful passage that God, that Isaiah is looking up? And you know what it says when you get to verse 6 and 7? It says, uh, because Isaiah looks at him and says, I'm undone, I'm so unclean. Remember he says that? And then it says, one of the seraphs come and they take a hot coal and, and they cleanse him. Do you remember that? King priest. That's what's going on there. King priest. And when you get to John chapter 12, this is an aside. 
John chapter 12, verse 37 to 41. Verse 37 talks about they didn't believe in him. Speaking about Jesus, when you get to verse 41, it says, Isaiah saw his glory, and when he talks about his glory, he's talking about Jesus. Isaiah 6, you can write it in your margin. He saw the king priest, and John says in his gospel, chapter 12, that it was Jesus that he saw. Is that amazing? That's an aside. King priest. All right. Second, the divine king priest will offer an effective, in theology we call it efficacious, but maybe one or two of you didn't know what that word meant, so I just called it effective. Sacrifice means it actually works. <laughs> A priest mediated between God and man by bringing the required sacrifice to God in order to avert judgment. In animal sacrifices, God taught his people that they were forgiven and spared only because of another who was sacrificed, who was innocent, who died in their stead, like the animals, right? Furthermore, every animal sacrifice was an execution of the sentence of the law, that's the curse of the law, upon a substitute, the animal, in place of or for the guilty one. So sacrifices were repeatedly offered because they couldn't actually take away sin. That's why they had to be, done, uh, they had to be uh, offered over and over and over again. Hebrews says that. Day after day, every priest, again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Because the animal sacrifices couldn't take away sin, God said that he would instead offer an efficacious or effective sacrifice to satisfy himself. The people could bring, the people could bring uh, animals and, and the law cursed those animals and executed them in the place of the people and that's how they could experience practical for forgiveness. But God said those animals don't actually take away sin and so I'm going to provide a sacrifice that actually will take away the sin. Ezekiel says, I will establish my covenant, that's the new covenant he's talking about with you, and, I, and you will know that I'm the Lord when I make atonement for you, for all you've done. You, uh, the priest would make atonement. He said, no, no, I will make atonement for you. Are you serious? God is going to do that? And he went on to say that it would be effective. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. It'll work. I will cleanse you from all your impurities. But what kind of sacrifice would God offer that would be effective or efficacious? The divine king priest will offer himself as the sacrifice. This king priest of Psalm 110 and Zechariah that we just looked at, Zechariah 6, <laughs> will offer himself. Jeremiah said a branch would come from the remnant, the stump of Israel. Remember that? We talked about it last week. Who is the Davidic king? Days are coming when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king. Zechariah said the Davidic branch, who is Messiah, 
was also called servant. This is the first time we come across that now in the story. Isaiah has four key servant songs. Isaiah 42, 49, and 50, and then 52 verse 13 to 53 verse 12, which is the famous uh, story of the crucifixion of Messiah, right? He's always called a servant there. And the reason we know it's the Davidic king is because Zechariah says the servant is the branch. He is the king. He's the same person. So not only is he a king priest, he's the king priest servant who offers himself as the sacrifice. Do you see that? And he does it on behalf of us. Uh, Isaiah said um, that he would do that. Isaiah 53 says, but he, the servant, was pierced, and you can go and look all these passages up and you'll see, it talks about the servant there, was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, the servant, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah prophesied that the method of execution would be crucifixion, which wouldn't even be introduced uh, by the Persians for another three, three to f uh, four hundred years. And then the Romans picked up from the Persians. Isaiah 52, that famous crucifixion passage, my servant, there it is, see, he's talking about the servant there, will act wisely or successfully is the word. He will be raised and lifted up, crucified and highly exalted. And the servant would die for his people in place of just like the animals were. He was cut off out of the land of the living. Daniel refers to that same phrase. He uses that same phrase when he says uh, he was cut off. Stricken for the transgression of my people, and thus his life was an offering for guilt. And then um, when his soul makes an offering for guilt. That's what it is. So the efficacy of this atonement is seen in the fact that the divine servant is satisfied with the results. So we know that it was effective because Isaiah says he's satisfied with the results. When he makes many, uh-oh, here's the word, righteous. That's what we've been looking for. Because you've got to make the people righteous in order for them not to be under the curse of the Mosaic Covenant. And then they can be blessed. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be, what's the word? Help me. Satisfied. Very good. He'll be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, so there's the righteous, king, priest, servant, sacrifice. The righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted. And what's the big word? Righteous, very good, and he shall bear their iniquities. That's how Messiah will forgive their iniquities so that they can all know the Lord. That's how they get to know the Lord. That's how Israel comes to know the Lord, and they still don't know him. Many, many individual Jews do, but not Israel as a whole. That's still in the future. They will all know me from the least of the, to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And Zechariah foresaw these, this event saying, I will remove the sin of the land in a single day. 
For centuries, they sacrificed many animals, but they could never get rid of their sins. Yet in just one day, by one sacrifice, sin could be removed. Take a look at how I've uh, pictured it on the PowerPoint. The Mosaic Covenant pictured, it re uh, revealed the need, uh, you know, um, sin, or the righteous standard, but it, it pictured atonement through many animal sacrifices. The new covenant provided atonement through the one divine sacrifice. Do you see that? That doesn't make the Mosaic covenant a bad covenant. It's just not as, <laughs> it's not as good as the development we now see in the new covenant because it didn't have the ability to change them. But it did reveal the righteous standard of God it provided temporary practical forgiveness, it did, based on the fact that there would eventually be an absolute forgiveness. It pictured and promised a final atonement which would, be, would allow uh, us direct access uh, to God. So, the Old Testament saints experienced practical forgiveness through animal sacrifices which covered their sins temporarily based on the fact that there was an absolute sacrifice coming. Uh, C.S. Lewis many years ago, oh, I'll never forget it, I, he, he said, how could the atonement be made later? And he pictured it as, you know, if you got past, present, future, if, and, 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 you know, because sometimes you ask yourself, well, why didn't, why didn't Jesus die at the beginning? And he said, no, no, it's like when you, 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 a drop goes into the water and the ripples go out this way. Do you see? And in God's mind, in, it's, God doesn't live in time. <laughs> and so he drops it like this and it covers for for the entire human history. Do you see that? That's beautiful. Uh, I love the way he did that. At that time, God dwelt among his people, but always at a distance. Only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies where God dwelt, and only once per year. All that changed when Jesus became the sacrifice for the new covenant. He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And days later when he died, the curtain was torn in two. <laughs> Amen? Signifying what? They had direct access to the Father. They didn't have to come through a human priest anymore. He didn't dwell in the Holy of Holies. On the, they could go right into the Holy of Holies now. Amen? And that's what we get to do. Which is amazing. And uh, through the forgiveness that, that came. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that's from the new covenant, the renewed covenant, if you like, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, let us draw near with a true heart. This, so, this took care of the Mosaic covenant, the curses of the Mosaic covenant, however, it didn't fix their hearts. So it, it forgave them, <laughs> but it didn't fix their hearts. And so that also had to be dealt with. And that's what we come to right now. The new covenant will give the people the ability to obey. 
The Mosaic Covenant, written on stone tablets, stated God's standards, but it couldn't, which was great. And it pictured a future reality in a beautiful way, but it couldn't grant the ability to comply with those demands. Yet even the Mosaic Covenant anticipated the new covenant when God would change their hearts. You know, sometimes people say, oh, see, God tried that and then that didn't work. That is really bad theology. God knew all along that they wouldn't be able to. He knew we didn't. Amen? Amen? That's why he allows things to play out. Because, you know, it's just like when you have kids growing up. And you say, don't do this because you're going to get hurt if you do it. And they don't believe you. They still got to go and try it out for themselves. Is that true? Don't touch the stove. Brr. Don't put your foot on the boulevard, Stefan. <laughs> or a Mack truck might come and hit you. <laughs> but they have to try it, right? Well, all of humanity is like that. And so God allows us to play some of these things out to show us, not to show him. And that's why the Mosaic Covenant actually anticipated the new covenant. Did you know that? It did. Deuteronomy said, uh, Moses said in Deuteronomy, He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts so that you may love him. If first he predicted, before this, he predicted that they would actually be thrown out of the land. He actually said it. You will fail, and this is what's going to happen, and dra dra. this is what you're going to do, you're not going to make. And then when I bring you back, here he says, God will circumcise your heart so that you may love him with all your heart. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands that I'm giving you today. He was anticipating the new covenant. He knew that they would disobey, but he knew one day <laughs> there was a new covenant coming. Anyway. New Covenant said there were two ways in which this would happen. Number one, God will give them soft hearts so they will be receptive to him. Before the flood, God had said every inclination of humanity's heart, hearts was only to what again? Exactly. Not even the flood judgment solved the problem of the heart. Listen to God's assessment. Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of the heart is evil from childhood. Though none of the previous covenants had addressed this problem, the new covenant was about to address it head on. Ezekiel, for example, said that God promised to replace their spiritually hard, stubborn hearts with receptive hearts, hearts of flesh. That's what he means by that. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. These hearts of flesh would be spiritually soft. That was the point. Sensitive to God's word and to his will and receptive to all that was good. Jeremiah agreed with Ezekiel and put it this way. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, soft. He pictured the heart of flesh as soft as clay, on which the Spirit could write God's law. Instead of rejecting the law, they would be receptive to it. 
It wasn't on, on, on stone. It was on, on clay tablets in their heart. They were receptive to the law. He could write it right there. And um, Isaiah, so that's Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Now we get to Isaiah. He pictured these hearts as thirsty land in Isaiah 44 3. We won't read it now. I, and Paul referred to the, that's what Paul referred to, um, you know, when he talked about these new hearts as the new nature. That's, that's exactly what he's talking about there. God promised that into these receptive, thirsty hearts, he would pour out his spirit. And that brings us to the second place. So first he would give us soft hearts that would be receptive to his law and his will. Number two, God would give them the spirit so they could obey his laws. Unless the Mosaic Covenant, uh, under, or under the Mosaic Covenant, the Holy Spirit came on a select few people uh, to accomplish a kingdom task requiring supernatural endowment. Thus, judges, kings, prophets, priests, craftsmen, they all received the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Remember that? However, the New Covenant promised that the Spirit would be given to all people. Joel talked about it in cha uh, chapter 2, verse 28. He said, Afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. The Holy Spirit would be given to enable the people to obey God's laws, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Just before Jesus was crucified, he shared the Last Supper, and he announced the imminent inauguration of the new covenant. He, he took the bread, gave thanks, and uh, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The one from Isaiah is this one. It's Jesus. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, I'm that person in Isaiah, which is poured out for you. After Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven, the Spirit came down at Pentecost because not only will he give new hearts, not forgive their wickedness, etc., etc., I will put my Spirit in you. That's new covenant. That was going to happen. Sure enough, he goes up into heaven and 40 days later, or 10 days later, I should say, 10 days later, the Spirit comes down at Pentecost. And when the crowd saw it, they wondered what it all meant. Peter quoted what Joel had said about the Spirit in the New Covenant. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. That's a quote from Joel. We just read Joel, and now here he's quoting him. When the crowd asked what they should do, Peter answered, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And he says, for what? The forgiveness of sin, what we just talked about, which gives us access to the Father. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There it is, two things from the new covenant, forgiveness and the gift of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit would help them obey God's laws and God's will. Did it make a difference? Did it? It sure did. In the exact same chapter, you get this passage all at once talking about how they started to act. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The believers were together, had everything in common, sold property, possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
That is unnatural for human beings, fallen human beings. Would you agree? Yep. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad, sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of the people. And it says the result was that God added many people to the church in the very next verse. But wait, Joel had predicted an outpouring of the Spirit accompanied by dramatic end times or end, end times signs on the earth. Didn't he? Yes. In fact, we'll go right back to that passage now and expand on it. He says, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I will pour out my Spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth below. Blood, fire, billows of smoke, sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. None of these happened in Peter's day. He's talking about something future. Yet Peter saw a connection between Pentecost and Joel's prophecy. Why? Because of what Joel said, not only in verse 28, Joel 2, 28, which we just saw, but what he said five verses before that. Five verses before that, he said, in verse 23, he said, Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. Joel reminded his readers that the Lord gave two rains, not one rain. The first rain in Israel's agricultural cycle produced the first fruits, which is why. And by the way, whenever they're talking about rains and first fruits and stuff, they're always referring to Israel's agricultural cycle. First rain in the fall, light rains, and a small first fruits harvest. And that guaranteed that in the spring, the latter rains, that's why you hear people talk about latter-day mo <laughs> rain movement or latter-day rains or whatever. That's what, that's what they're referring to. And with that came the major crop or harvest. Amen? And, and so Paul calls those saved in the first century first fruits. Look at 2 Thessalonians. Paul writes, God chose you as what? First fruits, fall harvest, early rains from Pentecost. Peter and Paul understood Pentecost as the early rain which brought in the initial spiritual harvest. But they knew there was a greater rain or spirit outpouring coming. Paul believed that Pentecost was a down payment of the spirit. See, so if you just read the New Testament, you don't understand what's going on. You can't understand it. Completely. You, you get, I'm not saying you can't understand anything and that you can't be saved. Yes, you can. But we're missing pieces. And so people think that Pentecost was the be all and end all. It's not. It's the, it's the down payment. It's the earnest guaranteeing a greater outpouring that's still to come. And if there's an, a greater outpouring still to come, and we've had hints of it in the Great Awakenings, the two Great Awakenings, 
that show that it didn't just stay like that. There's more coming. And with it always comes a greater harvest. The, bigger, the big harvest is still, is still coming. There's more coming. And it's going to come in these last days. Heavier outpouring, latter rains. And as we already saw, the New Covenant says that all Israel will know the Lord. Oh, that's an outpouring and an amazing harvest. Amen? Israel all know the Lord? Are you serious? And people from every nation, tribe, um, uh, as pictured in Revelation 7, with the recent explosion of population on the earth, a global revival could easily produce more Christians on the planet that are in heaven right now. The end times will not only be a time of great tribulation, but will also be the time of unprecedented harvest as the Holy Spirit is poured out. Then Israel will obey God's laws completely, allowing them to remain in the land forever on behalf of the reigning world ruler that we talked about last week, who's the Davidic king, divine Davidic king, King Jesus. And you'll have a righteous ruler, and you'll have a righteous people. And for the first time, remember God had said to them in the Mosaic Covenant, I have called you to be a kingdom of priests. They weren't a very good kingdom of priests. <laughs> you know, they did some good things, uh, obviously. They, it wasn't all bad. Some wonderful things that they did. But that wasn't, in that day, the entire nation's going to be the kingdom of priests that God always intended for them to be to the world. Amen? Oh my goodness, there is a time coming that I'm looking forward to, and I know you are too. All right? And so, that's where we're going to end. The new covenant solves the conundrum between the Abrahamic, Davidic, Covenants on the one hand, that God's going to do it. Now we see how he's going to do it. And the fact that they couldn't do it on their own in the Mosaic, under the Mosaic Covenant. The New Covenant solves that conundrum once and for all. And it's in the person of Jesus. Amen and amen. <laughs>